Hello and welcome back to Rocket Pod. On today's show, we're joined by Chris Connors. Chris is one of these people, when you speak to them, that uh, you're totally blown away and inspired by you know, how a regular entrepreneur, business person can actually dedicate 10 years of his life to helping others. Chris runs a successful number of hair salons in the southeast of England. Um, he also runs a hairdressing academy, which obviously complements his business. You know, Amazingly, um, he actually finds the time found the time to uh, found the Cocos Foundation. This is a charity that um, uh, works with deprived children in South Africa and other parts of the African continent, provides food and shelter to these folks that really don't have anything. And yeah, he's dedicated the last 10 years of his life um, and fed 2.4 million children. Um, He's a regular guy um, with a really big heart. So welcome, Chris. We're so excited to have you on today. How are you? How are you doing this afternoon? Uh, hi, good. Um, thank you very much. I'm well, thank you. On this chilly cold day, but yeah, I'm cool. Thank you. Yeah. So for, for our listeners out there, so Chris is the founder of the Coco Foundation and has done some great work. Um, I think you'd mentioned that you'd fed 2.1 million children um, in the last decade uh, through your charity. So can you kind of take us back to kind of your childhood? So how did you kind of reach the point of founding Coco Foundation? So if you just kind of t- take us on a bit of a journey, where, yeah, where did sure. Chris Connors come from? Um, um, and and yeah, how did it all happen? How did it happen? So I'm, I'm one of, one of um, three. I'm, uh, I'm the, what I would call the rose between two thorns. I have two sisters um, <laughs> and uh, one older <laughs> and one younger than me. Um, my oldest sister, um, she, sort of has, she has nine O levels, five A levels, two degrees. And um, wow. okay. yeah, academic. she's incredibly, she, incredibly academic. And my younger sister, um, again, she was very academic, not quite to uh, that academia achievement, um, but she is very academic. And uh, and I was the middle child, and uh, it was always a bit of a challenge, I think, for my parents, because um, I left school struggling massively to read and write, so I'm severely dyslexic. Um, okay. And uh, so I always felt as though I didn't quite kind of, I suppose, fit in or always struggled to be able to achieve. Um, and back then, I would say that we were only really judged, and probably even now, um, we're only really judged on our um, academic ability. And when I say academic ability, I mean numbers and words. So there mm-hmm. are nine different smarts, nine different ways a human being learns. And, um, but we're only really judged on two of them when we were at, at school and when we were at college. That whole system is, is focused on that. So I never really felt as though I achieved, fitted in, um, at school because um, they weren't my skill sets um, okay. and it wasn't probably until I left school and went into um, an industry that didn't rely on those skill sets um, I went in to become an apprentice hairdresser which were allowed on visual um, on on the visualization of things and working in 3d mm-hmm. that I suddenly found my niche and okay. um, suddenly felt that I wasn't inadequate and realized actually that I was really um, I had something to give and um, to give back uh, to the world and uh, and and therefore hairdressing was a lot easier for me but I applied that same determination that I had in mm-hmm. everything so even even in the numbers and the words when I was at school I always tried my best but I never got anywhere whereas with this I would still put the maximum amount of effort in but suddenly I was achieving and then I realized then that I was I was good at something and and from that comes confidence. And um, I think that's probably one of the best gifts you can give a child um, is, is confidence and to create an environment where they do feel confident. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt confident um, within that environment. And by the time I was 20, I bought my first salon and worked in incredibly hard and then got okay. my first salon. Um, and then I worked at that salon really hard for and, and, and just I loved money. Um, I loved being because we didn't have much as a, as kids. Uh, my mm-hmm. parents both worked and, and struggled, obviously, um, but we, we never went went without anything. Um, you know, we always we always were well looked after. Um, but um, money for me was always about um, back then um, was always about knowing that I'd done well and I'd achieved. And and I used to have a, a football pools round for those who can remember what a football pools round was. And where I used to go as a 12 year old, knock on people's doors, give them a football ball and they give me the money. And uh, <laughs> I used to do, do that for my dad and I had my own, okay. own little round. I mean, that wouldn't be allowed nowadays. <laughs> and um, used to come back and put the money out on the coffee table and I used to count the money and put it into little piles and, uh, and see how much we'd actually got 
that and we used to do that every single week so I sort of ended up having a, a love for money and actually adding up and making sure that you know everything was correct and I'm right and I applied those same kind of things to the to the business when I first started and then I bought my second salon um, at the age of 25 um, uh. which then went went really big um, which was in a place called uh, Cawley Maidenbower okay. which at the time okay. was the single largest housing development in Europe um, was it really wow yeah yeah so I was very interesting so when you were doing your football pools um yeah. can you describe can you give could you describe two profiles of people that you got to know just I'm just kind of curious to know you must have had your regulars um what in terms of the people that were that were there was there was always the people any standout yeah, tell, tell us about a standout stressful. individual <laughs> yeah. so there was there was there was always I don't know about an individual but it's like two two groups there were the people that lived on um council houses which is what they were called back in the day probably social housing now and the people yeah. that lived in the really wealthy houses and the people that lived in the really wealthy houses at christmas never gave you a penny and the people mm. that lived in the social housing always gave you a five a tip or a two pound tip or whatever um and they always seemed to be more generous and more kind um they always seemed to um support and help um, no, no, that's not saying the other people didn't, but it's, it, 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 you know, they, they, you never got anything from them at all. Um, but just barely a, a sort of grunt as they didn't, couldn't pass the time of day with you. But those other people really did. And, and that's what I kind of liked. I liked the fact that they might not have much, but they're always willing to share it. And that's maybe why yeah. they didn't have much. But, that's really you know. nice. Well, that's, that's really, that's really nice. Thank you for sharing. Uh, and I guess it would be, you kind of um, earned your stripes as far as dealing with people. It's good, good people skills, you know, as, as a young boy, you got to deal yeah. with all these different types of people and kind of got yeah. your view on the world. Um, I also like the, when you talked about, um, you, you obviously shared that you were severely dyslexic and, you know, the, the one size fits all academic um, system didn't kind of work, work, work for you. Um, but your ability to, can you talk about, um, because I mean, Rocket Pod, we like to talk about visionaries. I mean, you you know, you can imagine a what a haircut might look like. <laughs> so you're almost <laughs> starting. Do you do you, do you visualize when, when you're cutting hair? Do you visualize absolutely one hundred percent from the from the absolutely. beginning? Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. So I think with anything, um, well, certainly as far as I'm concerned, with anything, um, people even used to say to me when I was um, passing up the rollers because back in the day, that's what you did. And they say, oh, you know, what do you want to do once you've done your hairdressing, you know, your apprenticeship? And I always used to say, um, I want to have five salons and this is what I want them to look like. So I knew exactly where I was going, even at that age. And my mum said I was the kind of kid that if I was to be a dustman, I would have ended up owning the dust cart. I was that kind of kid. I always had, mm. I always knew where I was, where I was going. And in terms of the haircuts, absolutely. You, you, well, I cannot start a haircut until I have a very clear picture right at the front of my head. And sometimes you can go from somebody with curly hair, masses of it, to somebody with really fine hair and not a lot of it. And mm-hmm. you can do the consultation, and that, which is the most important part. You can talk through what it is that you're going to do. You come to cut the hair, but the picture's not there. And I just have to stop and just say, oh, just, just one minute. And I just have to wait <laughs> until that picture comes into my head. Once it's smack bang in the middle of my, my head there, and then the hands just do the work the picture just flows through but it has oh. to be i can't start it until it's there okay until I have interesting. That interesting so you okay so to get into that flow um yeah you so you you start with a picture and then i guess you've already touched on it so you you've used that ability to number one obviously acquire your first salon and then you got your second one um in maidenbower you mentioned and, and then I, I guess since then you've you've grown to quite a number um i know that yeah we we have so we've grown um so i sold the first one and then we just had the one which they made about and then i opened up another two and um, but those those salons that were opened up were opened up mainly by the people that within so we had very much a, a sort of uh, ethos about helping youngsters being able to achieve where it is they wanted to go so mm-hmm. um again for me looking at that visionary part is that every year all of our youngsters or everybody within the whole company, we have a group day and we do a dream board. Um, we cut out pieces of paper from magazines and we lay down what it is we want to achieve um, for that year. And then what we do is we then stick that up on the ceiling in the team room. 
and then they come down once a month and then we look at how close we are to any of those um those things that we've all those visions that we've all decided that you know we want to do and we tick them off um always say oh no we're a little bit closer to that one or we're not and it, you know for me it's a it helps me to understand then what um the team actually want to achieve and i've got it in my head they've got it in their head and we're all been traveling on the same path to be able to help them to be able to get where they need to get to um and very much so in terms of some of them will have and some of them have actually currently got that they want to earn their own salon and that's mm. wonderful because if i know where they're going then i know what i've got to do to get them there and they know what they've got to do to get themselves and um, to that and what they've got to earn to make that happen so we can then break it down um for them and you know it's about breaking it down you know rather than saying well okay this salon might cost 100,000 okay what do i have to save up yearly monthly weekly daily in order mm-hmm. to be able to make sure i can hit that target so most hairdressers not all um do struggle um with you know words and and numbers and um mm. that helps them to turn it into pictures and breaking it down to be able to achieve what it is that they need to be able to get and go where they want to go oh, and wonderful so, what a, what a what a great boss <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it seems to work with the majority of yeah. them <laughs> so so why on the ceiling uh, it's just somewhere so it's visual <laughs> it's okay so do you have to lie there. down you have to I lie down yeah, and look. essentially they just still come down every time but we just put them up on the ceiling it's probably the only clear nice. space that we've got <laughs> very right very nice i love it i love it okay so that so there's a there's a bit of a theme developing here so so then how do you get from okay so you're obviously successful entrepreneur building salons um yeah and i guess you know obviously yeah um motivating your staff um engaging everyone engaging all the stakeholders so i, I guess your customers have to that they help make your salon successful yeah. and then you've got um you know you mentioned young people i guess all different i guess i'm sure you've seen all different types just, of profiles yeah. you know in the actual in the salon trade so then coco foundation what how did um what, what was the spark i mean yeah because yeah. i you also talked about your you know your experience in school but i know coco foundation is um you know doing a lot of work or you can talk about it um sure in africa so yeah how how did that come about so start off with for us it's i mean i can't motivate anybody i can only create an environment that is motivational yes. and yes. and that's what we we look at is creating that environment particularly within our academy for our young people so helping them to be able to achieve what it is they want to achieve so if you can create that environment and then um you know those creative um that creative flow then happens and and then it, it makes it a lot easier to be able to um you know understand what it is they want to do and where it is that they want to go now with the dream boards um one young man um called Ed one of our young apprentices um he arrived at our salon um with a pair of flip flops uh and a, in a pair of shorts for his interview and uh, he was a bit of a lad um and he took a bit of casual drugs not a good thing but we we loved him he was really good at communicating he was it's just a nice you know guy salt of the earth mm-hmm. anyways let's travel him forward he he done his dream board and after two years he's finished his apprenticeship and on his dream board he had a picture of um a little african lad standing outside a house and he said what's this one on here ed and he said well i'd love to go to africa and i'd love to go and work with um some kids So I just said, well, let's go. And he said, oh, you can't just do that. I said, yes, you can. That's what's on your dream board. Let's make it happen. He said, oh, okay. you can't. And I said, well, let's just, you know, go away and think about it a couple of weeks. And if it's what you want to do, you know, let's make it happen. So it took about six weeks. Teenagers sometimes take a while before they come back to you. And he said, I'd really like to go. So um, we then set about um, taking the entire um, uh, academy. Um, at the time, there was four youngsters. and uh, and their trainer all off to um South Africa to go and build a to go and build a, a little house and that's how it kind of started wow and that uh, well okay so you and that that came from one of your that um, came from one of them so it members. wasn't yes okay certainly wasn't my dream <laughs> it was his dream that's what he wanted to do wow um, that's, that's wow that's wonderful so and and to be open minded as well and to make things happen it's like uh You've and that, that's always you simplified yeah, it it's like yeah. intention and doing not yeah. just and i mean they got the, the visualization piece i, lo- I love i yeah. love the visual vi- it's almost like um it's not a storyboard but like a visual yeah, where you're, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, yeah. you're creating a a board um yeah and i guess that gets refined over time and then but actually yeah. going ahead and doing it 
and obviously and, that's, and you've that's also given bit. credit you've given credit to ed <laughs> which is it's really nice and um, and that's the important bit that important piece is at the end of the day always um about the doing so it's it's all about putting things down but it's how you get there what do you have to do to make yourself to be able to achieve what it is that you want to achieve and that's when most people i think fell or or or, or why well, they don't achieve because they get hit or not and they don't keep that right at the forefront of their head right where they they need it to say this is what i still want to do this is where this is the direction i'm going in and you know my job is to encourage and to just push them along and, and help them along it's not leading from the front it's always just helping them to be able to go where they want to go and think about the next step and the next stage and to break that down so you know we took about we looked at how much the trip would cost and then you know it's about then well okay so how are we what are we going to do to make this work and they put on those of fundraising events in order to raise the money and that brought the team closer together creates that environment um of that motivational environment and um, they had to stand up and i remember i put them in front of a crowd of about 200 people on stage and they you could see their legs visibly shaking um, but that was all about getting them up there and about making a commitment to other people so that they put it out there so other people then hold them accountable yes. not just me so it's that accountability piece that once it's out there in the ether and you tell someone that you're then accountable and you'll be reminded by those other people and, and that's why i love my job because if i say to people i want to um, buy a farm in uganda which is something that we did the next time i see them in six weeks time they go have you managed to buy that farm in uganda yet they hold me accountable and that's yeah. the beauty of my job with my you know with my guests you know that i cut cut their hair they always hold me accountable and they'll always ask that question i think oh no i haven't done that or yeah i have done that and we engage in the conversation so it's that mm -hmm. you know it's having the vision and it's doing the yep. doing but it's also being accountable for you know making sure that you do carry through what it is that you want to do yeah and then creating that environment um for those things for great. the magic to happen so yeah, to speak great yeah, um, yeah so so when you talk about an ac academy um is that do you teach hairdressing as well or is it Absolutely. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, so we do. So within our within our industry, one of the biggest challenges is, um, and, and like in most industries, I think now is is being able to find enough people to be able to employ. Um, so, um, mm -hmm. but, but we've always um, taught our own. We've always okay. um, homegrown our own. So the, the directors of the company started off as Saturday Kids within my company. Um, and that's the piece I absolutely love. I love the fact that you're giving youngsters a hand up, not a hand out. You're helping them to be able to get. And particularly mm. because something from our industry is, oh, you're only a hairdresser. But, you know, some of my hairdressers earn over 40,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, they, they, they get that because they work incredibly hard. Um, but, you know, they'll earn more than teachers and, and mm -hmm. policemen and, and etc. But they're not viewed as a profession. It's mm -hmm. not viewed. It's just it's viewed as a almost a secondary or thirdary sort of you know job. Um, and for me it's about um, allowing them to become free independent people so that they can purchase their own home by themselves and so they don't have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or another half to be able to get mm -hmm. that. They can be independent of themselves and that's why um, for me, it's very close to my heart to be able to help them to be able to achieve that and be able to get that independence. I've got a couple of young people uh, that are in their early 20s um, that have just purchased their first little flat by themselves without Fantastic. somebody else. And for me, you know, once you've got your independence, um, you know, completely and you're not beholden to somebody else, then, then you know, that creates a, a much healthier environment for yourself, I think, mm. um, moving forward. You have more choices and that's what it's mm. about, choice. Anyway. yeah yeah it creates definitely creates more options well that, that's yeah. really nice so yeah so you're yeah so you're following yeah your young recruit recruits right up to independence some of them go on to start their own salons and yeah and some of them are kind of on the you know on, on the journey with them um, i always say i always say that whoever i meet any, any youngster that i meet has got to end up going through me and ending up as a better person whatever that better person is to them so it's not mm. for me to say what it is, but if they come through me, then they've got to end up out the other side, you know, somebody, a better person and, you know, having achieved something that they wanted to achieve or do. So w when we met, uh, so we haven't known each other, well, we, we met um, several weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah, uh, yeah. And um, I know the subject came at the time, I think I was just celebrating my, my 10th year of being teetotal. 
Yeah. And um, and I asked you whether you were teetotal. Just I just had the, the kind of in, intuition thing to say, and and you said yes. <laughs> so it, I was kind of working this idea. So can you talk to me about that? Um, so you you don't drink. Um, no. what, why? How how do, how do you think that's impacted your life? Um, have you ever drunk, or what's your what's your story there? So I'm just, I had one. I'm just curious. I, that's okay. Um, so how is not drinking impacted my life? It just means you're present. You're present every single day of every waking moment. Um, you've never got that hangover. You never wondered what you did the night before or whatever. You are present. You're fully functional. Um, you don't end up wasting your day. My feeling is that you're not on this planet for very long. Um, and for me, every day, you know, and every minute of that day has to be used in a way that, um, you know, helps you to be able to um, get where you want to go or help others to achieve what they want to achieve. Um, and I can only do that by making sure that I don't drink. I did drink once. Um, I got uh, once when I was about 14, um, when I was on a family holiday and I was with my dad and family and um, I ended up um, throwing up with my dad trying to, 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 to stop me throwing up. <laughs> um, and that was my sort of first encounter. Um, and then the second time was when I was 18. Um, I, I don't really have heard of 12 chimes where you drink a pint <laughs> on New Year's Eve of every chime that goes. And I ended up hitting the deck flat on the floor. And, and that's it. Never done it since. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Um, okay. So you're a lifer. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. So what else can we talk about? Is there, is there a question that you would like, would like me to ask you? Um, again, not, I'm not <laughs> sure. I mean, certainly um, in terms of the in terms of the foundation. Yes. Um, I mean, Let's I suppose I suppose Ollie, not Ollie, sorry, Ed. Um, and you know, once we we started that journey um, together, we went out with the whole group and we went to um, uh, South Africa and uh, took the third to six hours getting there. When we actually got there, we had all these little kids that came running to the gate and. Um, I kind of hadn't, because I, I suppose it was Ed's vision, not mine. Um, when I stepped out of the four by four, I had this complete fearful moment that I don't actually like kids. I like teenagers. <laughs> I like adults, but little kids. And I suddenly realized I was going to be there for three weeks with these little kids all around me. Um, but it just so happened they didn't like me either. And um, <laughs> they kind of took all the teenagers' hands and they left me standing there like Billy No Mates. Um, but one of the challenges uh, there was is that I believed before I went that the children had obviously got HIV and they'd got their HIV through their mums passing away and getting, mm. getting them the disease. Um, but that mm. wasn't, that wasn't true. They'd actually received uh, or they'd been born without HIV and you kind of think, well, how did that happen? And then you realize that all the kids that were standing in front of us um, had all been abused and that's how mm. they got their HIV. So really? as the only wow. adult wow. male going in, um, to that environment they didn't like me um, but there was one little lad and he was sort of sitting there with a, an orange squash bottle and it had a load of dust in the bottom and a pipe coming out the top and he'd give it a smack and this dust would just go all over his face so I thought oh, I'll go and talk to him so I sort of went up to him and as I went up to him um, he just got up disappeared around the corner and, and that was it and I thought oh well I'll come back in a minute so I waited and I waited and waited and he didn't so I went around the corner and there's this, this grass verge and there's a tree underneath the, the, the tree um, at the bottom of the grass verge and he was sitting under the tree smacking this on a squash bowl. And um, I thought, well, I'll have another go. I'll go and chat to him. And I, as I walked towards him, I realised he wasn't laughing. He was crying. I was like, gee, there's no way I can deal with a kid that's crying. I wouldn't even know what to do. I don't have kids. Um, so I started to walk away, but he looked at me and I thought at the same time, there's no way I can walk away from him. So I, I went down, I sat next to him and I, put out my hand and shook his hand and said hello my name's Chris I said what's yours and he said uh, oh my name's Tabby Saul so can I said can I sit next to you Tabby Saul and he said yes so I sat down next to him and I sort of wiped up his tears reached out to wipe up his tears but I created this complete mud mess on his face from the dust and the water and then started mm -hmm. to panic thinking could I get AIDS because back then I had no idea at all and then I realized that actually as a kid all he wanted was a probably a hug so I said do you want a hug Tabby Saul so he said yes climbed on my lap and gave me a squeeze and I said I said look I'm going to be here for the next couple of weeks I'm going to be building a building um for you and your friends I said do you want to give me a hand and he said yes Chris I was like result I've got a friend so I just stood up in my usual fashion walked up the up the hill and the next thing I knew I had this little hand inside mine 
and uh, he became my next best friend. The next morning, there was a very loud knock on the door. And uh, as I opened it up, there he was with my water bottle that he filled up from a puddle. And um, <laughs> and he said, are we ready to work? So I pitched the water bottle, gave it a clean because I didn't get a chippy tummy. And we set to work. And we had to knock down part of the building, or the 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 the, um, the students did, the team did. And then they'd fill up my wheelbarrow. And they took great delight in seeing piling all this rubble on this wheelbarrow and seeing their boss running up the hill with his wheelbarrow, um, absolutely exhausted, emptying the rubble out. And then Tabitha would jump in it and he'd sort of do a little <laughs> raspberry face to all these friends as I went back down again. And um, this went on all day, all day long. And uh, we then went um, the following day, the, the lady who owned the children's home said, could we go and visit some children uh, in, the, in the hospital? And I said, I'd love to. And we took some little teddy bears with us. And we'd given out all these teddy bears, but there was one lad that was all by himself and he was right at the very end of, uh, of, of the ward. And I said to the nurse, can I go and see him? And she said, you can. She said, just be careful. He has full blown AIDS. So I started to walk towards him and Ed shouts to me, does he want a teddy bear? And I said, Ed, I said, he's not going to want a teddy bear. He's 12 years old. And uh, but as I'm looking at him, he's looking through me at something. And I look behind me and Ed's swinging a teddy bear. And I said, Ed, I've got this one wrong. He wants a little teddy bear. So Ed gave him a teddy bear and um, we stayed with him, spoke to him for about half an hour. He said nothing in that half an hour. And then we said, look, we're going to come back tomorrow. We both went to the door, Ed and me to leave. Then we suddenly heard, goodbye. We both ran back and went, you can speak English, can't you? And he goes, a big cheesy smile. But he was 12 years old and he weighed just under um, half a stone. Wow, really? And, oh, my um, goodness. He was obviously on his, you know, on, on knocking on death's door. And I said to the nurse, and I said, what's his name? And she said, his name's Tabisol, the same name as the little boy that was back in the children's mm. home. Mm. and you kind of then understood his potential journey but all that stuff that's going on in your head is your stuff you know you've got to bag it box it and leave it by the gate because when you go in and you see the big smiley face of the the tabby soul that's in the, the children's home right now today this minute you've got to make it the best possible day you can make it for him mm. anyways after spending three weeks there I was sort of sitting down on a bench and I had tabby soul one side and another kid Ziabonga the other and um you know i said you know we're going home today and both of them burst into tears and i was like you know what's the matter guys you know we've been here we've built your house we've pushed on a swing through our arms are going to drop off we've fed you we've read your stories um you know we've done all these things what's the matter and they said we're never going to see you again and that was it i suddenly got felt as i got hit by a 10 ton truck mm -hmm. i came home mm -hmm. and um <laughs> was getting my shopping because i first thing i have to do is go shopping because i live by myself I had to leave my trolley, had a complete breakdown. Um, I then picked up a Chinese, um, sat on the, the sofa, emptied the Chinese out and um, had another wobble. Went in the next day and all these wonderful guests that hold you accountable said, how was Africa? And I just couldn't talk to them. Um, so I had to go in the end and see a head shrink because I was in a, yeah, I was in a mess. And um, so I went and saw a head shrink. And after a little while seeing that person, I just woke up one morning and I said, do you know what? I've got to do what I do best through the doing. And I've got to keep my promise because I said to the kids to stop them crying. I'll see you in August. So I set about running up and down the country, inspiring loads of other youngsters. And we went back out again and we built a reservoir. Um, and then I came back from that trip um, and I was pretty much in the same place. Um, but I had already promised the community that I would build a, a massive village hall. So I went up and down the country talking to loads of, loads of youngsters, inspiring them to be able to come out again and painting that, I suppose, that vision, that picture of what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. And then they came on board. We went out for six weeks and built this huge village hall. And in that time, it gave me the opportunity to get out into the kwazulu Tower region in the area. There are between nine and 15,000 orphans. There's about 60% of the adult population got wiped out by AIDS. Okay. And it just left maybe a 12-year-old looking after an eight-year-old looking after a four-year-old. And that 12-year-old mm -hmm. is in the house. So they're the mum and the dad. And mm -hmm. as a human being, we need our basic needs met. And that is we need shelter, uh, we need food, and we need water. And if those basic things aren't met, then we don't have choice. Um, so if I blew your house up here now, you wouldn't be sitting here chatting to me. You'd be mm -hmm. finding out which sofa you're going to sleep on tonight. The mere fact that you have a house gives you choice and gives me yep. choice to be able to come on this yep. podcast and to be able to talk. So... What I understood very quickly was is that 
they didn't have choice. These kids didn't have any choice. They were literally surviving. They'd be chewing on a goat's mm-hmm. head, calling with maggots, and that would be breakfast, dinner, and lunch, or breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's the dyslexicness in me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I decided I needed to do something about it, and that's when I got back and formed the Cocos Foundation. We have okay. um, a Food for Life project, um, which has supplied 2.6 million meals up the east coast of Africa. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Then we also have our um, Close to Close project, um, and the, the food, the food for life project. Everybody that we meet, we ask them to donate just two pound a month. That two pound a month will feed forty children. Mm-hmm. And um, but what we guarantee is that we guarantee that every single penny, every penny that is raised through the charity, a hundred percent of it will hit target. So I'm in a very fortunate position that I cut hair, and it's hair and my company that pick up the administration cost of running the charity. So if you give me a pound or two pound the whole two pound will go where it's supposed to go. I am entitled to take 49p of that, um, of that pound. So if we raised a million, I could pay myself uh, 499,000. I could pay myself, um, I'd be allowed to legally, but it doesn't. We, every penny goes the way it's supposed to go. Um, And that's what allows us to to be able to feed so many. Then our our, uh, close to close project, um, we take secondhand clothes and we sell them on eBay. And then through that, we buy school uniforms and we manage to get all the kids um, without any parents to school um, so they can get an education because without the education, they won't get out of poverty. Now, what I find mm. quite ironic is, is that for somebody who struggled in education uh, tremendously and didn't really like school or want to go to school, it's done that full circle on me that I understand that out there is education that will help to get them out of poverty. And then we also have our Build for the Future program. Now, our Build for the Future program is where we take volunteers um, and we take ma- mainly volunteers that are challenged, youngsters that are challenged from the UK, um, but not just youngsters. On our next trip, we've got two people that are in their late 70s coming and um, they build a house for an orphan family or child-headed. Um, and it's a bit like me coming along and saying, I'm going to build you a million pound house. They live in horrific conditions. Um, mm-hmm. and we then go and build them this house. It's a 17-day trip, and um, on that trip, um, it doesn't just change the lives of the children that we're building, it also changes the lives of the people that are, you know, are yeah. on the trip as well, because their eyes are opened up to, you know, kind of what's possible. And very much for the youngsters um, that we have um, that come on the trip that believe necessarily they haven't got support and help in this country, it helps them to realise that they do have a house, they do have food, they do have clothing and water and therefore they do have choice. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas a lot yes. of those kids there don't have those, don't have those things. And then lastly, our skills for life project, which is that last bit of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the pyramid of hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Is that once your basic need is met, it's then about um, self-sufficiency and about investing in yourself. And um, I kind of guess that's where we're at with our young hairdressers. Um, their basic needs are always met but it is also then about helping them to become self-sufficient. And and for them, it's helping young people over there to become self-sufficient. So we've just brought over a young lad that we've known since he was 10 years old at one of our feeding stations. He's now 19 years old, and he's just trained to be um, a commercial scuba diver. And we brought him over, and he went down to CDT in Cornwall, and he did a six-month course, uh, sorry, three-month course down there. And he was over here for six months. Uh, he stayed for Christmas and I took him back in January and he's had a job offer um, up in the Shetlands and he's going from uh, living in um, quite humble beginnings uh, to mm-hmm. now um, he's going to probably earning between 30 and 40,000 um, uh, a year. And that's that piece about giving, um, giving, you know, another human being a hand up, not a hand out. And, and also for me, it, it's, it's, being the voice for the child that can't be heard. You know, a lot of the kids that we work with have been abused and it, it's helping them to be able to get where they need to get to and be able to do what it is that they want to do. Um, and giving them that environment again, where I can't motivate them, but I can create an environment that is motivational to help them to be able to achieve what it is they want to achieve. Yeah, well, that that's a very powerful story. Thank you so much for sharing. I that's think, okay. um, what, yeah, when, when we met... Um, I think what resonated with me, I mean, obviously it's a fantastic, inspiring, it's incredible what you've done. I think the fact that you're, 
you know, you're putting 100% of, of the donations um, to work. You, you know, you could take, um, like you said, 49p out of every pound, uh, but you choose not to. Uh, and obviously, um, I, I think uh, one of the things that I've struggled with in the past as far as donating to charities is that knowing that a lot of that goes on operations and big salaries and, and yeah. it's, you know, you, you never really know as the donor, you know, what actually gets to the people in need. And, I think um, that's the yeah. that is the piece about that. You know, if you look at donating as a as a circle, that last quarter is the bit that we don't really understand where it goes. And for us, you know, we go and do talks in schools, and even to the little kid that might be a six year old in an English school that gives me a key ring with a little elephant on, you know, I'll make sure it goes to Africa, and I'll do a little video of me giving it to somebody so that the kid can see that it's arrived at where it's supposed to go and its destination. And mm-hmm. for me, that's the most important thing is that. You know, we give, but we don't often know where our giving goes. And it's important to understand where it goes and important mm-hmm. to understand that it, it truly is helping. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, how do you create a vision with an end or mm-hmm. with any kind of direction? So um, on this build project that you talked about, um, I mean, actually, before we, we joined on the podcast, my daughter, Penelope, um, who's sitting over there. Um, <laughs> just said, I'll, um, I'll just whiz around. Hi, Penelope. Years. She's going to kill you now. Said, <laughs> said <hi. laughs> Hiya. Um, she she's interested in um, in coming out to Africa, um, and you know, I as a I will I will sponsor her, um, and I'm sure she's got a friend or, or or two that could probably join her. But um, no, I, I I'd love to um, if that's something that is available to Penelope, come and help. Um, she's 17, so I know whether she's Absolutely. too young. Or no, she's, she's, she's no, not at all. We've taken as young as 14. I think next year we've got the Girl Guides coming out, a group, as the 15 of them coming out, and they're 14 upwards. But, I mean, what we say is that a trip costs 2,800, of which, as of a charity, we only take 600 of that. Now, the 600 that we take, we have eight people on a trip, and that gives us then the 4,000... Um, 4,500, 600 that it costs to build the house. Okay. What we do okay. say, what we do say to the the parent or or the youngster is that they they have to raise that 600, um, mm-hmm. preferably because when you hand the keys over to the kid, you understand that you've been you've actually worked hard to make that happen, as opposed to mum or dad, auntie, grandma, or whatever, just writing the check out and, and giving it to you. Yeah. The, the the rest of the money, the um, 2200 is your flights your accommodation your food we do go on a, a safari on the middle weekend but that's part of the journey um mm-hmm. and we can say if the parent wants to pay for that that's fine but um it's really important that the young person does something back in their own community to be mm-hmm. able to earn that 600 because that's part of their life journey that's yeah. part of them understanding that um they've got to work for it they can't just be given it and you know and and you know for them to do some kind of sponsor, whatever, to be able to to be able to raise that money, um, to feel that when they hand the keys over, they're gifting it, not their parents, nobody else. They're mm-hmm. actually gifting it to to the child, and that has yeah, a massive impact on them. Okay, no, no, that's uh, okay. Well, I'll um, I'll send the recording. So <laughs> she can't, she, 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 she can't hear you because I got my head my, my earpods in. That's okay. Um, okay, that's well, that's good. So I, yeah, well, I mean. I'd love to help spread the word. Um, I'm definitely going to sign up to your the the two pound a month thing is actually a really another I think a really nice it's a really nice thing because it's who who can't afford I mean we're we're privileged I mean even listening to you talk we're we're so privileged living in in a Western society um, yeah a lot of people take it well we well we're guilty as charged probably take it for granted sometimes but we are so privileged um you know when you visit um some of these developing countries and yeah there's there's a lot of poverty and yeah these these kids and it's like as long as they have food they can like you said they they have options yeah. just an education i mean again something very basic that we take for granted but it's, it's i it's think amazing. as well that the, the the thing about the two pound is is that when you do gift it we spend zero nothing on saying thank you very much to you we leave that up to you so if you jump onto our website if you jump onto our facebook page you'll get the thank yous, but we're not going to post anything out independently to you. And the reason for that is it costs us money and mm-hmm. that money's got to come from somewhere and we're not taking it out of the two pound that's going to be feeding those 40 kids. So, you know, for us, you can find out the information and the thank yous, but all you'll know is each month you just get that warm feeling in your heart 
knowing that uh, you've uh, you've fed 40 kids. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So you can feed 40 children for two pounds. Yeah. So and, and, and you're asking yeah. you're asking donors to to commit to two pounds a month, which is what, 24 yeah. quid a year. That's a yeah. few coffees. Um, yeah. And with that, they can actually what's that? 12 times 40, 40 times 12. I don't know. Um, it's quite a few kids. There's quite <laughs> a few meals, nice. isn't it? Yeah. That's a, yeah. a number of meals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is the number? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to get that's a four, four hundred eighty. Four hundred eighty. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Four hundred eighty. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dyslexic that's in me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So you know, and that makes well, a that makes a big, you know, a big impact on a kid because if a kid goes into you know, goes into school and they're hungry, they're not thinking about their education. And where we do feed within schools, what we the schools notice and they're screaming out for is to, to feed the kids before they go to school is that their education, their concentration goes up. I mean, if you're hungry, you're going to get something to eat to make sure you can focus on it rather than focusing on being hungry. Um, you know, and, and it's the same same for them, exactly the same for them. Okay, so as far as, if you, um, any, any books that you can recommend uh, that have had an impact on you in the last 10 years that you've read? I don't know whether you're much of a reader. No, that's um, a really hard one. <laughs> um, okay. Or because, podcast, could be a podcast, could be any, I, anything. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't do a lot of, um, it's, the reading's a hard one. It takes me about a year to read one book. Um, I've only just got into the podcasting bit and you're going to kill me. Stephen Bartlett is one that I will probably just listen to. Um, oh, you know, and, and you, you sometimes get, you know, um, little quotes. That's a good things. choice. Yeah, little, little ideas of being able to, you know, to be able to help. But I'm, I'm not a reader at all. I mean, there are some books that I, but if you ask me straight off what the titles are, I don't even know that I can, I can remember them. Um, but I, I, you know, it's mainly about, for me, and it always has been, it's about conversation, it's about people. Um, it's about, you know, entering into conversation. I'll, I'll probably get more from conversations with people than I do, you know, from, from anything else. And, and whenever you meet somebody, you know, be it that you're out, most people don't talk to each other, but I'm somebody, if you do end up, you know, down the, walking down the street with me, I will engage with you because I just find it fascinating about what people do, where they go, where they've got, where they, like you do with this podcast, I suppose, where they've been, how they got there. And mm-hmm. and I just love that. And, and and understanding successful people, how they get to where they get to, they kind of lead the breadcrumbs of how they got to where they get to. And all you've got to do is just follow those breadcrumbs, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just understand. But it's about having that very clear vision, clear picture, which for somebody who deals in pictures is probably a, a, a lot easier. I'm not very good at detail. So you probably understood that from when you were texting me and, and emailing me. But I, <laughs> I, have a, I have a team behind of me that deals with all that detail. Um, <laughs> so they are people that are words and they are numbers. Um, and they're really good at all that kind of stuff. Whereas I'm, I'm just not. So they, they, you know, I come up with an idea and I chuck it behind me and they, they, they then get to work on it. And it's them that bring it alive. So all of this stuff um, can't happen without surrounding yourself and leaning into those people that often are the opposite to what you are. And so I always say never be ashamed of what you can do, but also, more importantly, what you can't do. And if you can't do it, find somebody you can and lean into them and, and get them to be able to help you to be able to get where you want to you know, be able to get to. Because, you know, I think there's that quote, isn't it? If you want to go far, you go together. If you want to go a short distance, you go alone. Or yeah. something like that, and yeah. you know, and that's that is so true. Because if you do want to do something, then you know you you've got to engage others, you've got to inspire others, you've got to help them be able to get the same clarity as you have of your picture of their picture. And so they've got to have a reason, and it's got to be good for both. It's got to be good for them. It's got to be good for you. If if that's out of balance, then it's not going to last. You know, it won't last. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, it has to be good for you both at the right time to be able to move something forward but it's only through conversation which is something that we don't do much nowadays i mean something that i'm you know phones you know that makes us look inward and not outward yeah. um i suppose yeah, that's yeah. a book actually stolen focus that was a a, a really good book i've I read okay. recently you did you that did that was about that was about you know inward looking and not outward looking and you can only solve the world's problems and probably your own by outward looking and leaning into others. If all you're doing is on your phone looking down all the time, then, you know, you're, you're just going to be inward. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. why I think a lot of 
challenges that we have with mental health and all that is because everybody's looking down they're not looking up and out and they're not engaging mm -hmm. in conversation you know and yeah. that's important so yeah that's really important no it's it's, it's so true uh, so i think um well it's, it's really good I, you you've clearly got a, a growth mindset you're clearly a visionary and you're a doer um and i can imagine you know being in your trade you know you get to speak to a lot of people you know you're the folks that you're cutting your hair i mean you must have some so great lovely. conversations and a big cross-section of life yeah and, and i guess some wonderful guests that have done um, and do amazing things um yeah and some that in their own way do amazing things you know as well so yeah absolutely I'm, I'm very privileged i always say and i can i know the ones that i can lead into for some things and not for others and you know etc and that it's, it's understanding people's skill sets and you know how you can get to get where you want to get to um making sure that they're around you and helping you supporting you yeah there's also seasons isn't there i mean like any relationship oh, yeah. or any collaboration you know, it's Absolutely. like you ride the wave and, you know, you'll know, you know, sometimes that you might catch another wave or it's like yeah. you have a, an engagement with an individual um, and, you know, and uh, and it's just accepting that that was wonderful and magical, but that's yep. now gone. I, I guess relationships are like that. Some, some stick around, some, you just yep. have to enjoy it while you're, yeah. while you're having the, you know, it's, it's, it's the about time. balance. So scales, it's about balance. So all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just trying to think. So how do people, how do people find the Coco Foundation? So um, visit us at um, the, the website, which is www.cocosfoundation.co.uk. Um, we are just about to have a major revamp of our website as well. Um, uh, but yeah, visit visit there. And um, you can always find us on Facebook as well. Facebook tends to be the everyday stories about what's happening with the kids and you know what we're doing and we're just about to go on a trip so we're introducing all of our volunteers that are on that trip and then etc um so that's kind of the little community um that we mm -hmm. have um you know which is fantastic um but just come and get involved ping us an email at info at cocosfoundation.co.uk if you want to get involved in some way shape or form if you want to hold an event for us and raise some money for a house and um, we're always looking for ambassadors and um, when i say ambassadors mm -hmm. that's as an individual or as a company so the company, a company could raise money to build a house for, you know, four and a half thousand. And I'll quite happily come and do a talk to different companies around the UK to inspire, um, you know, the people um, that you work with. Um, and as an individual, um, you can sponsor a child. You can just donate two pounds a month. Um, you can sell clothes on eBay and then send us the money. But we'll always guarantee that, you know, the money will go where it's supposed to go. Um, oh, but just get in contact with us because without getting in contact with us, we're not starting a conversation. And um, that's what we need to do. We need to talk. And yeah. uh, I'll bring you up. We'll have a chat and we'll see what your skill set is. And it's about talking, it's about engaging and, mm. and, you know, to be able to understand what it is that you want to do. And it's all well and good typing and emailing, et cetera. But sometimes a good old chat, a uh, good old chinwag, you know, you never know where that, that might take us. So, you know, that's what's, that's what's good. Yeah, that's great. I, I would actually like to, as, as the kind of the, the podcast evolves, I would like to connect the guests with the listeners um, and maybe even connect some of the guests together as well. And I've started doing that. Sure. And and I, I guess the offer's there. I mean, if, if there's anything that RocketPod can do, if there's any guests that, that I've interviewed that you would like to be connected with, um, then Sad. reach out, reach out here. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, if you're up for it, perhaps we could have you come along and we can do some um well I, rocket pod can do an event at some point and and you can come yeah. along um, if you're around to. uh yeah so uh, if you could meet anyone for coffee or a tea um who who would it be any any ideas anyone you want to um sit down and have Two. a chat <laughs> yeah nelson yeah. mandela 100 percent would be nelson mandela he was born in the, the probably the right time but equally i always feel as though there was so much more that could have been done for South Africa and Africa and I think it's going through a hugely challenging time at the moment and mm -hmm. just his words of wisdom um so Nelson Mandela and the other one that a lot of people say as well is Gandhi um because again that's somebody of wisdom and also Barack Obama I'd love to be able to talk because I think he's a man of he's a thinker I like thinkers I like people that don't always give you the answer straight away but they 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 sort of think it through and and but again somebody who's very wise so there's three people <laughs> yeah and, and one one you never know i mean barack he's, he's still what, alive what, he's and kicking still alive. In these, so. <laughs> <Still going. laughs> well if i can get him on the podcast perhaps yeah, 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 co-interview co 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 him 
I can both interview him. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Well, no, well, I, I've really enjoyed this. I think. Um, oh, I'll tell you what. I've got. I've got a final piece. If there's any parting wisdom um, for our listeners, and bearing in mind our listeners are, well, re- reasonably young. I would say eighteen to to thirty at most. Yeah. I mean, there are folks yeah. our age as well um, in their forties. But what what would that uh, parting wisdom be? Just from, from your life experiences, and do you have any th- any pearl of wisdom that you can can close I would, with? I would say get involved, get involved with you know with charity with the community. It doesn't matter whether it's with us or with any other other charity. Get involved. Uh, giving back um, comes back to you in absolute handfuls, um, you know, and and it also teaches you so much. But you know, it is that we can't do these things alone. Just get involved and put your phone down for five or 10 minutes and talk to the people around you, because I think that's something that we just don't do enough of. Um, you and I would not be having this conversation um, if we hadn't the meters at the gym, because that's where we met. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, hi, you know, how long you been here? Oh, I've been a member here for whatever, whatever. And then boom, we're started and, and then you're off, you know, don't be worried about speaking to the person next year. And I think we always are, I think youngsters in particular always are. And we certainly find within our industry that when youngsters come out of school, we have to take them through a 10-week program of being able to communicate. And how do you communicate? Because they're losing the art of communication. Mm-hmm. Everything's done through the screen um, and everything's inward and rather than the outward. Um, and particularly for the youngsters that, you know, again, what I look for in when I'm employing someone is um, attitude, a positive mm-hmm. attitude, a smile. Mm-hmm. I cannot train somebody to smile but i can train them to cut hair um so i can take anybody and train them to cut hair but i can't train them to smile so you know it is having that positive that and being able and and, and smile and being outwardly you know showing that you're happy um because that can't be taught um so so yeah yeah attitude positive attitude no. with a smile yeah i love it i love it yeah very good no that's great no cool. i think it's been great well, well thank you so much for um my pleasure you know, your time and it's been you know really insightful and i'm hopefully we can um catch up in a few years and and see where sure. uh yeah well, see, see how coco foundation's doing and perhaps by that time yeah. um i'll you know we'll have um raised a bit of money and you know helped you on your journey <laughs> but no it's um very inspiring thank chris thank, thank you so Cheers, much James. much appreciated take care now bye-bye bye Thank you for listening to today's episode of Rocket Pod. When you get a moment, we'd love it if you could jump over to whatever platform you're listening to the Rocket Pod on and leave a quick review. We love your messages. It helps us get exposure to inspire and share more stories like this one with Chris today. A couple of key takeaways from Chris. This goes to show, you know, one man or one woman or one individual can make such a difference to leave the world in a better place. Give a hand up rather than a hand out. You know, folks have all the answers themselves and it's just providing an environment that creates options for folks love the visualization board idea um, in his own business helping people achieve their dreams and obviously the coco foundation delivering 2.6 million meals in a decade is is quite remarkable so loved having chris on the show today thanks chris you've been very inspiring and um, check out the coco foundation take care um, have a great week ahead bye